0: Hello, and welcome to the B2B Legion podcast for tech companies. My name is Jacob Lovenbrand. I'm the Managing Director of Bright Vision, as well as host of this podcast. In this episode, we have the privilege to have Dale Dupree, aka The Sales Rebellion, on the podcast. Dale has been in the sales industry for over 20 years and have a stellar record as a B2B salesperson, especially within office technology and copiers. So, and during the last few years, he has started a sales education and sales coaching company based on the methods that he made made him so uh, uh, efficient and so successful um, in the areas he had been working as a salesperson. And we are going to chat about that together today. So, welcome to today's podcast, Dale. Thanks for having me on,
1: Jacob. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah we're looking forward to this and ask you so much around all the methodologies and insights you have around sales and what makes a salesperson successful and so forth. But before we dive into today's topic, maybe you can give us a little bit of background on how how you came to be a sales coach and so successful, especially, you know, uh, what took you into the sales profession, so to say, and what made you end up as a sales coach?
1: Yeah, definitely. So my story starts back uh, in 1984, actually, when my father founded his first and only copier firm. So I I was actually born into the industry the year after, in 1985. And people like to say that toner runs in my veins, and which is actually pretty true, because I had my entire, all of my siblings worked at the company, and. My aunts and uncles (laughs) worked at the company. A matter of fact, one of my uncles actually owned another copier company as well, and all of his kids worked there too. So, uh, copier people are are once copier people and always copier people is what people, you know, everybody likes to say. But so I, I grew up in small business. I got to watch my dad sell in the nineteen, you know, nineties and the early two thousands as a young adult and, and a teenager. Um, as well as like watch him operate his business. And so I I learned a lot growing up. It, it wasn't your typical lifestyle. I was also homeschooled. And so there was this unique opportunity for us to spend a whole lot of time with with our family, but also to be able to learn about what it was that we were eventually gonna be doing with our lives, which was working. And my mom and dad allowed us to have a very, good outlook around that whole concept. And, and what I mean by that is that they didn't make it seem as if one day we were going to graduate and have, have to go to work to pay the bills. Instead, they they enforced this idea of creating a culture and a community that we would fall in love with and to be able to give it to other people as well, too, not just take it for ourselves. So like all good teenagers, though, I rebelled against what it was that my father had built for me and the family business in general and I actually went out and I toured in a band um all across the United States on a major record label and ended up doing that for about 5 6 years and and then calling it quits and coming back and selling for my father's firm full time now I'd spent some time like I had discussed you know over summers or you know spring break or whenever I felt like it really <laughs> Uh, working at the company to some extent, but sales was never outbound sales, especially was never something that I did up until that point. I'd gone on sales calls with my dad and, and seen him operate, but I'd never conducted something on my own. So, so I truly jumped, you know, right from the music industry into the B2B world. And it was, it was intense. I learned a lot, but thankfully my dad was willing to take a risk on me. I, I truly believe that if anybody else would have hired me, I would have been fired within the first year. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm grateful for that. But after year two, I, I really hit my stride. Um, I helped my dad dig out of the recession of 2008 that we experienced and, and get his business to a place where it was profitable. And eventually two years or four years after joining the firm, allow him to sell it and i was gobbled up with the acquisition um i became the number one rep at the company that bought us within 90 days and i i carried the mantle all the way until i retired my my coat at that organization and moved on to the next so i went from seller to b2b uh, B B seller to uh, manager and VP of Sales, and then um, I, I went and managed a territory for a two billion dollar firm called Xerox, which I'm sure you probably heard of, um, in Central Florida. And that lasted about a year and a half before I got out, and I started the Sales Rebellion, and that's
0: my story. Quite a quite a background you have there, with a lot of experience under your belt there. So <laughs> so interesting, and obviously you was very successful. In all those roles, uh, you know, to, analyzing how to become better and doing things smarter and more efficient and so forth, which took you to your management positions and, you know, bigger companies, bigger sales partners and so forth. And those things have you a little bit, you know, taking into your sales coaching practice today. So if we're speaking to sales professionals today in the B2B space, which is very competitive, no matter what country you're based in so there's a lot of competition and stuff. What would you start saying is the core foundation to be a successful B2B salesperson today?
1: I think that it's extremely important for people to understand an awareness of themselves when they get into the profession, more so than anything else, because I think that it's very easy for people to forget who they are and to get lost in the fray. When they jump into a new bullpen or get into sales for the first time, that there's typically an existing culture when you when you jump into an organization that in some cases can feel foreign in other cases maybe it feels a little bit comfortable but in all cases it's not necessarily who you are <laughs> it's not your authentic self and and so unfortunately what most sellers fall victim to is this entrapment of having to be a talking head for a product where people don't buy products people buy a solution to their problem. And and furthermore, they prefer to do it with somebody that they like and trust and not just anybody off the block. So being able to earn credibility and to create and stir enough familiarity and relevance inside of conversations is extremely important because of that. And the best way to do it is to be you. Uh, not everybody's going to like you, right? But if you're aware of yourself and you know who you are, it's a great foundation um, and starting sales and not, not as much as the foundation of a product or a service and the knowledge behind it, right? Because just because you know everything about the product doesn't mean that I can't come in and whoop your butt on the deal was really my, my mindset at all times, because you got to think I was 21, 22 years old, getting into the B2B space and the copier world, which was saturated with people in their forties that had been doing it for 20 years. Um, the young bucks typically got out because it was a really tough, it's, it was a tough industry. So Mm -hmm. because of that, I had to differentiate myself and I, how am I going to compete with 20 year vets, right? That had 20 years of knowledge of industry knowledge and product knowledge. So instead I differentiated myself through personal branding and this belief in who I was and my mission.
0: Very interesting. And that made you to, uh, Outperform the most senior uh, copier salespersons in those companies you worked with, uh, obviously. <laughs> so that was so great. So, is that uh, enough today, or what do you do when everybody's differentiating on, on those kind of topics? Or uh, what do you see is, is the first step to take there? Is, is it enough to, to do that in order to perform well?
1: yeah well i think that what it is 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 that where we miss also is that awareness isn't just about knowing who you are it's also being aware of others and so it it's also extremely helpful to become very aware and intimate uh with your buyer of mm-hmm. uh, around what it is that they truly desire and deserve and, and and want instead of just like what your boss or your company tells you that they want you know because Listen, like I say this out of great respect for everybody that does what they do um, and has been doing it for a long time, that in most cases they've disconnected from 2020 and what it means to the buyer. Now, when you've got a, a VP of sales or somebody that um, you know has spent the last ten years behind a desk and mm-hmm. and just kind of continuing to go through the motions. They're not having tough conversations with prospects such as, hey, do you even like when we contact you this way? Do, do you even do you even have these same needs um, at, at the forefront of what it is that you use our product for? Or has it evolved into new things? You know, a lot of times we just kind of beat a dead horse and in sales because it's worked, you know, for so long, right? So we continue to do that. It's why so many firms, you know, when they adopt new technology that they're selling, The old technology still gets sold, you know, 10 times as much because again, you know, it's, it's a consistency that's worked for so long, but having an awareness of what really is happening in your market and having good conversations and being open to this idea of direct dialogue and transparency. You know, I was just reading through an email with somebody where they had, at the beginning of our coaching call, where they had said, uh, my pushback was that, that I was told, you can't talk to people this way. And, it, and, and I said, well, what was your response? And he said, well, I laughed and said, this is how any normal human being would want to be talked to. And, and then the response was, yeah, but this is business, right? And that's the problem, is that we've created this just weird, strange, fictional world inside of the business space that doesn't really exist. And that's why people are having such a hard time connecting with others.
0: Mm. So interesting. So when you start working with clients uh, and try to improve their performance as sales organizations, what do you see them lack mostly uh, or what kind of mistakes do they typically do uh, in the B2B space?
1: I I think that most of the time like a salesperson talks themselves out of the cell to begin with. So I think that one of the biggest mistakes that, that they, they typically tend to to perform is wordy emails or very busy talk tracks or just things that aren't are, are irrelevant really to the, the person on the other end. You know, like sending sending an, a, a mass or canned email because you've got 40,000 people on a list and, and talking to them like you wrote a script. Like people can see past those things in the year 2020. You know, maybe it was a little bit more acceptable at some point when the internet first started to be a thing and email was being used, but it's a new world where people feel disconnected from to begin with, and you're not helping. (laughs) So because of those types of interactions, I believe that, you know, that's what pushes people away from even wanting to use a salesperson, instead of using some type of automation tool to just, you know, pay their $99 and move on. Mm. And I, I think it's a real shame because I think that the human connection is one of the most important things. And, and the automation side, it's not necessarily that we rebel against automation at the sales rebellion, but we rebel against this idea that somehow the human connection is irrelevant because that's crazy.
0: Yeah. That's interesting because we talk a lot of about, automation today you know to to how can i send 100 emails automatically per day instead of you know sitting there uh writing them by hand and so forth so what is the the best uh middle way so to say when should you use automation and when shouldn't you
1: i think that you use things like that internally to help your processes i think that you use them to to better the experience for your prospect from a process standpoint, but not, not in a communication, uh, through communication mediums or in a way that somehow replaces or supplements you know, the human connection. I think that that's a, that's, that's a losing situation for most people. So I think there's plenty of room for that type of help in, inside of creating a consistent and successful sales environment. But I still think that you've got to man the wheel at the end of the day, and you can't just put things on autopilot and hope that they'll turn out the way that you want them. You know, I, I honestly, I wonder sometimes when I read some automation emails that I get, I wonder to myself who responds to these, you know, because they, it's, it's almost as if like when I do respond to this guy named John, that how is he, he even going to know anything about me based on this email he sent me in the first place? Or what I'm actually even interested in to begin with. When I say, "Yeah, I'll take a meeting," you know, mm-hmm. for the 18 things that he mentioned, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, wow. there's just too much. It's convoluted is the problem, you know. And the automation side of it causes more and more of that. Or it's just, you know, people try to dumb it down and make it more personalized, and it just comes off almost irresponsible in the way that that it's communicating and and lazy to an extent as well too. Like that really you you think i have a nice looking profile <laughs> you think my company website looks good i mean what does that mean so so getting getting back to the roots of i think the human element of connection is important and using ai to to help complement that is the best way to use it
0: mm. so what do you think is being very practical now what is a good way to approach a cold call, or you know, researching and contacting a totally, un, uh, you know, unworked company before which you have a no relationship to? Well,
1: I think the first thing that I think is that if you have, if you're not going to do the research, don't even send the email unless the email is going to be very precise and targeted in regards to the the actual vertical so instead of saying hi Lisa and then talking about your products and services and uh, how great you are and that you rank you know number three in the world on these things that they don't care about in the first place that you you expose the things you fix that you cause a stir of curiosity inside of the prospect and that you lead with relevant information and I'm not talking about a product dump. When I talk about information, I'm talking about simply saying, hi, Lisa, is it a crazy thought uh, to look into making your BDRs and SDRs more effective when they're on the phone with first time clients? You know, like a simple question. <laughs> I, I think that, th- that things like that will elicit a response more so than the opposite of what most people do in, in that type of outreach. You know, if again, if you're not doing hyper um, research and personalization in your outreach, that I, I think dumbing down your outreach is important. I also do truly believe in a proactive approach. And so I think that, that getting somebody on the phone so they can hear you is more effective. And I think that leading with a proactive concept of understanding and calling out their assumptions is important. So they know it's a sales call. As soon as they pick up and see that they don't know the number in most cases, it's either that or, you know, like God has sent them the golden goose and it's somebody buying. So there's, you're gonna let them down if you're not that other side of it, right? In the first place. So, because nobody wants to be sold to, but if you're able to, to tackle the common assumptions and be able to articulate to the, the prospect that you understand how these types of calls typically go, and you can spell it out in the same way that I just did a minute ago. Hey, people typically get you on the phone and they, they grab your ear and, and all they want to do is talk about them and their product. And you know they usually name drop and say something about being in Forbes top 5,000 of something. And, and I, I just don't want to have that conversation with you. I looked up your company. It looks extremely relevant in regards to the way that I can serve it. And with my products and service, but I just don't know if you're the right fit. So I was hoping that that would warrant a conversation. If you have some time right now for a couple minutes, um, you let me know. And I, I again, I think that being very just hyper transparent with people when you can't personalize um, from a hyper personalization standpoint, that it will feel familiar, they will feel credibility and being built in those moments and they will trust you a little bit differently than the person that says, Hey, this is Dale. How are you? (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. they have no idea who that person is like Dale who? And, And even if I said the company, I don't know your company. What do you want? So I think being, having more of a proactive and leadership approach to the way that we reach out to people is as salespeople is just important, more important than we make it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great comment there. I totally agree. So uh, I think there's a big danger in automizing and uh, using too much plain vanilla templates or different kinds, which comes across, as you say, impersonal or automized or even robotic in worst cases. So definitely true. So um, I, a question around your name there of the company, Sales Rebellion, what is it you're rebelling against? <laughs> <here?
1: laughs> uh, we rebel against the mediocre, we rebel against the, the has been, you know, concepts of the sales world. We, we, we believe that people deserve better, especially Mm. salespeople. And we believe that, that they have been manipulated for years by the status quo. And this, this group of elite individuals that believes that somehow that what they're teaching you will change the world. It won't, not even close. We've all experienced it, right? And those of us that have had to to be a part of, you know, some of those groups because our company paid for it or whatever the case may have been. And it's not so much about this idea of like disagreeing with what's been or being taught. It's this idea of the fact of the matter that even the gurus are lazy these days. They don't want to do the work. They, they don't truly understand what it means to sell because selling is serving. And that's the bottom line. It's much more basic and simple than we make it out to be to begin with. We've created this complex web of information regarding how to close and how to prospect. When, when, and by doing so, we have completely disconnected people from the altruistic form of what sales is supposed to be. And that's what we rebel against. We, we're a rebellion based and, and founded on the principles of hope. Hope for something more than what it is that we have all been clawing to try and achieve as salespeople, and as somebody that achieved that success myself, I'll tell you right now that every single day I had to go through this I, this this constant belittlement and ber- berating of who I was and what I was building. That this will never work, and this is this is not going to help you in your career, and, you know. But then I spent. 10 plus years at the same company selling, you know, and, and, and because I was the number one rep and because I couldn't, my ways and means of getting business could not be denied because again, it connected with the basics, communication, emotion, helping, helping people to understand that you're more than just a salesperson and that's why they need to spend time with you and vice versa, that they're more than just a transaction to you and that you seek to understand, to meet them where they're at and to serve
0: them. So powerful. That was a great relation uh, of the sales rebellion concept. So thanks for that Dave. So uh, yeah, great, great to hear. And I suppose you have this constantly helping a lot of companies with those topics and so forth but um, how do you handle all these kind of uh, technology or trends that we see today like you know as you say optimizing your social selling proficiency and so on Um, how, how do you want sales professionals to handle all those kind of fads that comes and goes. And, you know, you can put in how much time you possibly can into different things to learn how to do this and that. So, so uh, what's your take on that?
1: Well, I I think that sales reps just need to use, they need to lead with their heart. They need to understand that maybe something looks fancy on the outside and that, that, you know, the private jet and the Lamborghini are something that they desire in their life to some capacity, which there's nothing wrong with that, especially, you know, dependent on their age and their culture. Right, because I wanted it too at one point in my life. But I I recognized that the people that truly gained that success were not the people that showed them off. Right. The people that actually were, were feeling fulfillment from those things as well too weren't driving around in them for everybody to see and you know, throwing, you know, fire onto a thousand dollars worth of hundred dollar bills to light a cigar. You know, I mean like those are i started to slowly recognize and realize that those things those are just fads in and of themselves right mm-hmm. they're not really as attractive as we make them out to be they're just something that we wish we could do you know because it looks cool there's an aesthetic to it to some extent but it there's it's surface level it washes off right it can it fades with time And that's the problem with the way that most of these, these fads put themselves out there. And a lot of them too, they tell you, they say, we'll give you the ultimate sales success. We'll give you everything that you ever dreamed. We'll, you know, create and build this, this massive, um, you know, this massive concept for you, this feat, this big, you know, presentation, right? Like we'll, we'll, we'll give you these thousand different ways to run a sales cycle and and that's what's going to constantly be closing you deals that's bull crap <laughs> all of it right <laughs> every sales cycle is different even if there's consistencies everyone is different because the person that you're dealing with or the people that are on the other end will have ultimately have different experiences than the last mm-hmm. so they'll have baggage they'll have problems they'll have things that didn't that weren't good right that they need they they need a different approach for They'll need to be able to express the things that they can, are concerned about as well, too. And if we're not listening, but instead running them through a process that takes them down an agenda, that the only time we ask them questions is whether or not they want to add to it doesn't help. It doesn't create a safe place for those folks to come and to express themselves and to be able to be transparent and brutally honest to the point of of almost offending you as a salesperson, you know, because we should be able to suck that up because it's not their fault that they've been treated like garbage throughout the years as a buyer. When it comes to the sales cycles themselves, it was very rare that I ran into a company that would speak very highly of their provider. And, and you always knew that when it came down to it, um, that specifically when it came down to it, that it was the rep was the catalyst. You, you could almost always understand like in your, in your mind, you could almost always know that it, there was a person on the other end of what was making this human happy, <laughs> that it wasn't the company in, in 99% of the cases, right? It was the people that were causing an impact. And we have to sit back and recognize and realize that fads are just that are labels, they're, they're, they are faded. And, or I should say faded and they are surface level, but people, people build legacies, people build experiences, people give, something much more worth the time of the buyer to begin with than, you know, the offer, the marketing offer for, you know, $99 for 12 months, you know, on an infomercial. Mm -hmm. And that it's in those moments that you can, that you, you have more control over your destiny, right? Instead of just leaving everything up to chance and to automation and to some kind of fad and to some kind of, you know, marketing funnel that you shove everybody down, you know, with a cheap price because nobody will buy things you know, from an, with an expensive, you know, tag on them. That's not true. None of that is true. I was in a commoditized industry that I was told that the only game I could play was the price game. I never played it. I never negotiated with people. I always fellowshipped and came to a mutually beneficial agreements. I never sold to people. I let them buy from me. And if we just change our mindset around some of these small things and start our own rebellion, we'll change the entire sales landscape as we know it.
0: Oh, that's so great! I totally agree. Yeah, that's that's so true. Always uh, try to differentiate on um, all the other things rather than the pricing. Even though every industry says that the pricing is the most important <laughs> thing to compete with, but uh, uh, yeah, it's so true that you say there. So that's great. That's great. Being very practical around this. Uh, what do you think is a successful model today to to organize a sales a sales team do you, do you believe in the specialization of their different roles or do you you know what what do you think is the most efficient team setup today
1: Yeah it's, I think it's a good, it's a very relevant question I think I think that the problem is, is that when we set up a big sales bullpen and we put a bunch of labels and we, and we, you know, say this person does this, that person does that, that we put them in boxes and that we don't allow their true authenticity and the success that they could gain for us and themselves to really unfold and to show up to begin with. Mm. So I I think that it is important to have groups like SDRs or BDRs, you know, AEs, um, you know, account experience reps, you know, I think that the in some um, styles or types of businesses, verticals, I should say, you'll want to have more of that type of setup than just a full cycle sales rep. But I also believe I was a full cycle sales rep. So I also believe in that, in that model. I believe again, that it, it comes down to the community that you serve and the efficiency that you're trying to create inside of your organization, how much you're trying to scale. So, at the same time, I do believe that if you if you have roles like people that are just calling set in appointments for an AE that then go on and do the presentation, that it should be very seamless and that there shouldn't be a conversation or, of, you know, Chuck saying, yeah, well, let me, let me get Linda um, a calendar invite between the two of you, you know, that like Chuck should just take ownership. Let me set up this appointment, <laughs> you know, yeah. let, let, let's set up this appointment. Let's get this demo going. And then, and and really, you know, for an SDR or BDR, they should be at, at the first, two minutes of a 30 minute, you know, uh, discovery, 15 minute discovery and do the introduction, you know, Hey, you know, thanks for doing this. Um, you know, this is, this is Tracy or, or this is Linda. This is, she's, she's my account executive. She's going to do the demo for us today. I just want to do a quick introduction for y'all. I'm going to let her take it from here and then back out of the call. And, and again, I think yeah. that there's just, there's small things. Those are, that's a, such a small thing that people can do. Right. But, but again, people see it as a waste of time or inefficient, but, you're dealing with other people and you're giving people something that they can take ownership in at the same time. And so that's a win-win situation when you're allowing the human element to be very present and to, to have a form of transparency in those moments as well too, instead of trying to like skirt around things or beat around the bush of like what you're doing as a BDR or an SDR um, you know, and, and just because also you tie a, a quota and you tie a, a comp structure to it as well And that that can start to cause a strain between the departments and between the people, you know, because somebody sets up an appointment, it doesn't go the way that they wanted it to, and they don't get paid on it and they blame the AE Mm -hmm. and vice versa, right? The AE blames the SDR. This is a terrible appointment. You should have never set it up. Like this is, it's a bunch of finger pointing and it's reactive approaches. You know, we do not take a proactive approach anymore to our sales bins. We just say, this is the way it works. And we put it in place and, we call it a day and we fire people when they don't perform. And I think it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, perfect, yeah. Uh, interesting, uh, I, those good points you made around the team setup and, and performance there. Um, if you want to say that there are any trends uh, B2B sales organizations should be really looking out for or you know, start investing in for the coming one or two years, what would you say is the most important things to focus on
1: i would say that that we see a movement happening around this concept of first impressions um you know and we're we're leading the charge on that so i'm a little biased obviously just full (laughs) transparency but but we we have a process you know inside of one of our theories which is the reason theory which is an acronym you know and we we call it radically educating um, our prospects. And so we use things like direct mail or video or, and, and what I want to say here is that it's experiential sales driven. So it's not just that we sent a video and an email. It's that we, we create a storyboard and we create an entire experience for people. We like to look at it as like Disney for sales yeah. is is the best way to put it. And the, But the idea being that so many people are just looking for somebody that's qualified to begin with. And, and then when they find somebody qualified, they're so excited, right? They're so excited that they got their email and their phone number to give them a call. And then that person never picks up. They stick them in voicemail jail constantly. They never respond to their emails. They never get back to them. They finally talk to them and tell them they're not interested. And you mm-hmm. feel like you've been deflated. Well, they never took a minute to even understand what you do in the first place. And so this idea of radical education is this, this concept of first impressions that's, that brings the five senses to life inside of what it is, the experience that you give to others before you ever reach out to them. And then Mm. when you reach out and you say, Hey, this is Dale, they know exactly who you are. They know exactly why you're calling. They know exactly what they want to say to you in the first place. And you can invoke a more altruistic emotion and response in those moments that, that allows somebody to, to be very real with you. So, you know, some of the top reps that we train, um, you know, they're not just number one at their companies, they're number one by like 400% of quota in some cases. And it's, and it's because they believe in the rebel way and they believe in this mindset around giving people the experience that they deserve when it comes to outreach. And I would say that those, that's a trend that, that, again, we're at the forefront of, but other people are doing as well too. And that just needs to catch fire. And, and we need it to, to become the next generation of what salespeople do because it makes life better for all of us.
0: Oh, so interesting, yeah. And that rings so true in my ears as well to, to focus on that uh, prospect and client experience uh, and radical education, what a good concept. Um, Dale, it's so interesting to discuss all these things with you. You have so much uh, in, insights and, and best practices and tips and tricks to offer her, but um, we could go on for the whole day, but I know you're a busy guy and have clients to take care of and so on. So, uh, But I know a lot of listeners would probably want to know more about your content and uh, your company and so forth. So where can we send them?
1: Yeah, anybody can just Google Dale Dupree and find a ton of resources on me, or you can head to salesrebellion.com if you like daily content, linkedin.com backslash in backslash Warrior to see my daily feed I'm on all social channels from TikTok to Snapchat to Instagram. You can find me by just at sales rebellion or, you know, youtube.com or facebook.com or whatever backslash sales rebellion as well too.
0: Oh, that's great. Dale, what's up? privilege to talk to you today and you gave me so many ideas and concepts here i would really like to read more about on your content so thank you so much for your time and i wish you all the best with your company and your concepts around coaching and safety. so thank you so much
1: appreciate you jacob thanks for having me on bro
0: Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your lead generation activities at brightvision.com.